Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, welcome to Swell Season Surf Radio. I am your co-host this week, Tyler Brewer. And who is with me? Hi, Tyler. It's Karen. Our, our correspondent, <laughs> our, our, uh, our journalist at large. How's it going, Karen? It's going okay. Uh, we're alive. That's, you know, that's kind of like the, the bottom line at this point, you know. Many people can't say that. So, um, you know, grateful to be here and to see the changing season and see, um, uh, just be here. Have you been surfing? I just started getting out. I just started getting out. Um, I think the first few months, I just didn't even have the taste for it. Um, uh, it was, you know, it was real, this, this whole situation. I know a lot of people on the front line. I know people have yeah. died. I know a lot of people who know people who've died. Like it's very much, you know, like one, like direct and also much more like one step removed. Um, I had a teacher who passed away. Like it's, you know. Do you think, um, I've read a few things about this and there's there's definitely a lot of PTSD coming for, for particularly the, the LGBTQ community. Mm. I, I've read because of AIDS the and AIDS HIV. Thing. Yeah, Larry, how... Larry, Kramer, uh, Larry Kramer dying. Um, two days ago was it yesterday oh my god really yeah 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 i didn't even know that and i think he was working on something that had to do with like three generations of trauma i think it might have been like holocaust to aids to this that had to do with this kind of i actually i don't know if the holocaust is part of it but I, i remember reading something about you know that and it's i mean it's really interesting actually thinking about it because you know i'm doing a film about the early 90s um and the That's why idea, I brought it up. 
Yeah, the idea of um, of quarantine and and just remembering what it was like back then when nobody knew what it was, right? Remember the eighties? I was a kid then, but I remember this feeling of like nobody knew what it was, nobody knew how it was being transmitted. There was just a lot of fear around it. And um, Dr. Fauci was was yes, main yes. main point person back then Absolutely. too, which is really yeah. interesting. I, I've interesting. read like a whole fascinating history of him and his complicated relationship. Mm-hmm with right. the, the, the gay community during right. that time and, right. and how he learned from it and became good friends with Larry Kramer, that, actually, yeah. you know, yeah. over that. That was a reference in, in the obituaries yesterday. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it's interesting to kind of come around and, you know, I can't help but think about all these connections of where we are right now, environmentally, um, politically, like it just feels like everything's ramping up, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it's kind of critical mass, all the things that we knew we had to change, but we didn't change. And just, I mean, just Coming such an interesting time. Yeah. And um, just thinking about right before, like, you know, last year with Eric Garner, I can't breathe. And the fact that this virus affects us in a way where we can't breathe literally Mm. and i just you know that that kind of like correlation i can't like it just keeps coming up for me you know yeah um and that here's something well i don't want to kind of give away everything that we we talk about in (laughs) this next well well, let's talk about who who our guest is tonight on this episode right um give us a little bit of background here so um it's uh professor grace moon um who is the founding editor of Velvet Park Media, which was, uh, which is a queer women's arts and culture multi-platform publishing company that produces print and digital media. Um, she's also a painter of fine arts. Uh, te- uh, she teaches fine art and design in both the CUNY and the SUNY college systems and is currently writing and illustrating a history of surfing before the modern era. Wow, and she's, so. she's also got a Hawaiian lineage, is that? Yes, yes. Know? So basically, I wanted to interview Grace for the show because it's both been warming and completely fascinating to witness her return to surfing in recent years mm-hmm. after a long hiatus. That's like 20 year hiatus. And she grew up surfing in Honolulu. But when she moved to New York City, like in the late 90s to get her MFA at Pratt, she just never imagined um, it possible or desirable to surf here of all places. You know, obviously. <laughs> like she would go to the beach and she'd be like uh, looking for waves. And she's like, I, she, she heard people surf here, but Every time she went to the beach, clearly she wasn't looking at the right places. She was like, I don't understand where. She never saw a surfer, you know. She kept going to Coney Island and swell just exactly. doesn't wrap around in there, really. She taught in Jersey somewhere. And she, like all this time, I'm like, you didn't see a wave in Jersey in all those years, like 10 years, you know. Wow. And, um, but then like, you know, over the, the recent few years, she started getting a whiff of the surf craze that was like bubbling over. And she thought, you know, for shits and giggles, like, why not? Let's let's go find something. And found a friend and she went for a first time and she's like you know that was kind of fun and yeah. then I run into her beach probably on her second time out and that was it that was a wrap you know and we've been surfing together ever since I can't let I can't get rid of her and <laughs> she's and the one who keeps calling me to like it's awesome know. though <laughs> now so she's also you know uh she's in a really complex situation right now right right uh what- well well, before that, I want, I mean, yeah, I okay. want to kind of go into the, um, like the context in which I knew her, which is okay. always um, city things and queer nightlife and culture from the early 2000s. So, and we were both living in Bushwick at that time. And um, I never knew 
you know, I knew she was from Hawaii, but I, I didn't know how deep her roots went. Yeah. So when we first started surfing, I was just astounded by the speed in which she just ramped up her surf game from like zero to hurricane grade. Muscle memory comes back. I mean, it's quickly. like unreal. 20 years, imagine. And she's not really like, I don't know her to be like a workout queen or anything like that. Yeah. Like she just, you know, and it was in September to remember that year. I was it three years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it just like became this obsession, right? So every time I'd see her, there's like a new board, new gear. Cause you know, it's all new for her. She's never surfed in cold water. Like every time I'd see her, I'd be like, what is this new board? And it would be totally like inappropriate for you know, New York. And I'd be like, so she'd be testing it. Yeah, that doesn't work. I'm getting rid of that board. I'm getting, it was like always something i'm like oh my god you're you're just obsessed and then she's you know shaped her own board and she was the only woman representing in your um, it doesn't not work event which was so awesome um and now she's writing a surf book and that's like literally within a span of a few years um but i would mainly be blown away by you know every time we'd hang out there you know these the most casual of moments she just kind of dropped this like you know morsel of thought which would reveal like this thorough wealth of knowledge of surfing in hawaii as both a surfer with rich personal experiences and as an academic and intellectual like who has the ability and language to untangle hawaii's history and thus surfing's history from its like colonialist and patriarchal lens in which it's pretty much you know written um but she's (laughs) just an amazing friend and is such a trooper and not just in the surf arena and as you're um about to go into, you know, in the last few months, she's just surfed her way into conquering cancer. And yeah, when she surfed during COVID while getting treated for cancer. Yeah, for undergoing chemo. And I, and (sighs) she swears that it helped in her healing process. And I don't know if I'd prescribe that to anyone (laughs) with a compromised immune system, especially given COVID's reach and also kind of like this idea of our social responsibility, um, given how it works. Um, but I think, um, given her relationship to surfing and her body and her health, like I don't fault her. It's not like she's going out just for, for, you know, a good time. And, um, and she's just a unique person. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to highlight her story as kind of like a story of resilience and that the passion that one has for surfing, how it kind of never goes away, even though you step away for 20 years and the role that surfing has in our lives beyond recreation, you know, it's just, um. You know, and I think this is one of the things that, I mean, I guess you can find this anywhere, but in New York, I feel like we have such an interesting community of surfers and backgrounds mm-hmm. and um, diversity. Uh, uh, and I just, I'm always interested in kind of thinking of surfing outside of the lens of the kind of mainstream culture that is very homogenous and um, homogenous. You know, and yeah. it, overall, like uh, as a, a kind of um, relationship to, um, our access to nature, which I think is really important. And there's definitely a lack of diversity that is um, projected into the mainstream cultures of, you know, most outdoor cultures. I mean, even Patagonia, who I love, like if you go through yeah. their, you know, ambassadors and whatnot, it's very... <laughs> Homogenous for the most part. Homogenous, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I, I'm just kind of blown away that she surfed all through this while getting treated um i imagine she was very careful and was trying to she's surfing the crowded spots or going more well she was like kind of on the fringes of that like she she might have been a rockway but not where everyone was surfing and yeah um, but she uh it's incredible Uh, that's a feat only thing the only other person i've heard really doing it is dean randazzo who had um 
lymphatic cancer, I believe. And wow. he surfed. He had it a few times actually to come back. And he actually surfed uh, the day after getting chemo in a surf contest. Wow. And like, oh one God. is he. That is, <laughs> that is incredible. I mean, do you know how weak I imagine you'd feel after chemo and how nauseous and... Uh, it's unreal. But I imagine also... Maybe the salt water, the sun, all those things just kind of give you a little bit of energy and the adrenaline is maybe yeah. the energy boost that your Absolutely. body kind of needs potentially. Yeah, she swears by it. She swears by it. Yeah. You know, I'm no doctor. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> but I would I mean I still I wouldn't have done it, but uh, you know, but I <laughs> well, think Well you don't know unless you're in that yeah. place, right? You know? And maybe, you know, if you're facing you know, staring death in the face, you know, you're just like, what do I got to lose? Well, I wouldn't go that morbid. I wouldn't go that morbid because- I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, it's always it. the, yeah. a, a thing of mortality though, right? Yeah, you're you're true. confronted with mortality. I mean, I was thinking of that during this whole COVID process, you know? I mean, uh, hearing the stories from my friends on the front line, it's insane. It's and for there be to a, po a populace out there that thinks that this is like a hoax, I just want to be like, you know what? Instead of spending the time challenging whatever government system you think is tyrannical against you go and volunteer on the front lines go see for yourself and you know what's yeah. ironic this is so crazy you know you go to rockaway and a lot of people are just kind of walking around no masks like nothing is mm. going on if you look at the map in the new york times or wherever of like covid cases it's rockaway huge has in rockaway it's really one bad of the highest like um concentrations in new york and well you know why is, it's a, a huge, huge. Well, you have nursing homes with a huge portion of first responders right, live exactly. in the Rockways. That's Fire right, department, right police, mm -hmm. all uh, EMT, yeah. mm -hmm. all a little, huge portion of them live in Rock in the Rockways. Right. You right. know, particularly cops. Right. Right. You right. Know? And also, I mean. I, I don't know numbers wise, but it feels like there's like a big West Indian community as well as a big Hasidic community. Like when you mm, go on. Yes. On, if you go further side. down, you know, for sure. Yeah. So I wonder if that, uh, that has any bearing, you know, given also frontline, you know, so many things could be doing it. And, um, you know, I'm just glad we're okay. I'm glad, uh, Grace, our guest is, is the, doing well during this yeah yeah and inspired you know doing this work that she started before and continuing mm -hmm. and i just can't wait till this book comes out because i just feel like there's so much that we don't know about surfing in hawaii i mean there's so much we mm -hmm. do know but it's pretty much the same stories that get regurgitated over and over again and yeah you don't really understand the the kind of like history through hawaii's point of view and where like that lives or at least i haven't been able to kind of um have you ever read that. james mishner's hawaii i have not i recommend it and for all our listeners if you want to know uh what a raw deal the hawaiians got oh yeah well i mean i know the um, the history but in terms of like surfing through it's it. uh it's a uh, james mishner who's uh, an incredible writer you know who you know uh, has written numerous books on different uh regions and mm -hmm. he writes like this these historical books that are semi-fictionalized and they have like these characters in it who are bits and pieces or combi combinations of different people who were actually alive around that time. And they, mm -hmm. you know, and they make it in a very interesting story format and tells about the formation of Hawaii and then mm -hmm. how the Polynesians, you know, made it to Hawaii and settled life. But then 
you know, it jumps, jumps all the way to when the Calvinists come and the exploitation wow, yeah. mm-hmm. and right. the sickness they brought. And right. then, you know, and then the, the, obviously everything to the takeover, the, the Hawaiian crown, mm-hmm. all that stuff. So it's, um, so if anyone wants to know about you know, good Hawaiian history and get a really good perspective, that one is a great book. That's a book that, mm-hmm. um, Eddie Aikau told Rabbit to read when he was, you know, after the whole oh, wow. busting uh-huh. down the door <laughs> thing. Yeah. And Rabbit always credits that book to helping him understand mm. how hard the, right. the Hawaiians right. had it. Right. And, made him and why much the response was what it was totally. to the Aussies that came over. Exactly. And I, actually, back to Grace, what, you know, yeah. and, I, and I mentioned to you, and I can't remember the guy's name, but the, one of the, um, the early surf ambassadors right before Duke. George Freeth. Right, George Freeth, yeah. George Freeth, ironically died from the second wave of wow. the Spanish flu. So sure. to bring it in full circle, given you know what we're seeing in California right now with the the surfers who are, you know think that there's this tyrannical kind of response to them not being able to surf, it's just really interesting. The guy who kind of brought surfing to Southern California back in you know what 19, what 1908, was I think something like that. Right. Yeah, so might have been before that year. Uh, he, he, yeah, it might have been actually. But he, um, it's funny how we just don't learn from history sometimes, no. or don't don't have perspective yeah. on exactly. history. Um, exactly. He was only but, like thirty-one or something like that. Really young. Young guy, healthy, but mm-hmm. but you know, I mean, that's that's why it's important for people like Grace to to be doing this research and reminding us um, right. of where we came from. Yeah. Uh, so I'm excited. I think our listeners are gonna like this. So Karen, wanna send us off? Yeah, I mean, I just, uh, we kind of rambled on a bit, but I think there's some interesting little stories in there. Um, yes, so um, here's Professor Grace Moon. Um, that's it. <laughs> doing her thing, all doing right. Thing, yeah. <laughs> thanks, Karen. All right, thanks, Tyler. Good to see you, talk to you. Yeah. There now. All right, hey, Grace, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Karen Song, for inviting me. This is funny. We're, you know, you're just like my good buddy. So it's funny to kind of put on this formal, um, you know, hat. I know. Usually I see you in the parking lot of some place we're going to go and surf at. (laughs) Or in the car as we're driving side by side and passing you. (laughs) True. Um, I, I really want to interview you. Well, I've always wanted to interview you because I always enjoyed, you know, every time we'd surf, you'd always kind of drop a nugget of something um, that would kind of be mind-blowing because it's like, oh, that's what's going on, you know, inside your head, Ms. Grace. Like, there's always something going on and there's always some interesting thought processes. And, um, you know, I mean, it's it's really funny because we we sometimes don't even have the time to talk about it because we're just too busy surfing so they just always come in these little nuggets and it's always like oh there's so much more to discuss and and um and i've always enjoyed our conversations and i think it's um they're really interesting for kind of like a a, you know new york community surf community consumption because i think um it 
sheds light to the fact that our New York surf community is so um, diverse in many ways, diverse in many ways um, in terms of, uh, uh, there's your doggy. <laughs> is he really loud? Of course, I had to, had to make a... He attacks the door periodically. <laughs> He's going to bark throughout, but anyway. But, you know, uh, you know, New York being... Um, a kind of melting pot in so many ways, but even in our surf community, right? So uh, where, you know, people are coming from all different places and have such different backgrounds and different surf backgrounds, like how they've come to the, to the sport, the hobby. Um, and I think your story has always been interesting. And I, I love that our stories and our relationships to how we got to surfing are so different, but here we are, like, you know, like you're my go-to person that I call, you're always game to, to surf. And um, despite how big the conditions are or how small, well, maybe not how small the conditions are, you're not excited about that end of it, but um, how excited you are to, um, you're just always down to surf. And I think your obsession has surpassed mine. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. I think you're the most surf obsessed person I've ever met in my entire I life. I try not to be. You you just got busy this uh spring kind of winter to spring you got busy <laughs> yeah with, with different COVID. things yeah covid you and also your your job seemed to have gotten a little bit more tight and then you didn't go no the real reason is you didn't go away to indo this this yeah around this winter which I, usually I really felt here yeah I, fe I felt the um i definitely feel the impact of that of not having this kind of solid time water time um to step away also from New York and um, I don't know, I always kind of need to step away and, you know, it's just really intense. And as a freelancer, just, um, you know, in film production, just that time to step away and just immerse in something. A different that is, world. Different getting world out of New York, yeah. New York and just like um, really being you know, an ocean creature is really important and also i mean for me back in the day like traveling was really about disconnecting and now that's harder because there's wi-fi everywhere it's just so easy to connect now you know i remember when i first started going to indo um not like purposefully not getting a sim card and then like not having a smartphone and then it just got harder and harder and now it's like i could just have wi-fi you know i have my smartphone with wi-fi and i I was on instagram you know what all those stupid things when you yeah. first started going was it sort of like there would be very few places you could pick up um, cell service and Wi-Fi, oh, like yeah. much yeah. harder to get. And if I really needed to, I might like, you know, as, a, as time progressed, I would roll up to a business where I had their Wi-Fi password and I'd just check my thing. And, but mm. I wouldn't be on Instagram. I wouldn't right. be on, you know, like emails to just check when I needed to, like it could really disconnect and really kind of. And not feel guilty about it. Cause you just can't get in touch with anyone. Yeah. No things get in really touch with you. To lose the relevancy when you're not, when you don't have the option to be connected and, and it, you kind of exist in that old school way, right? You're really present to where you are. You're not like thinking about, mm -hmm. you know, what you're doing at that moment and how it can be interpreted on a, in an online way or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, or this interruption, like you have these meandering thoughts or you can read a book and then yeah. you're not, that time isn't interrupted by your phone buzzing or, you know. And I feel it's so good for creativity. If you're a creative person, you sometimes yeah, just need absolutely. this open space in your brain yeah. where you just let the thoughts flow in, flow out, absolutely. grab on the things that really excite you and play it out in your mind. And 
Actually, yeah. this is kind of an interesting intro into the our segment because we are now in COVID. I mean, we're all connected. And actually, it's been interesting because sometimes that part of it has been stressful. Like this idea that people feel like you should be accessible constantly by the phone, by the internet, by all the, you know, Zoom calls, this and that and the other. And even working within that has been um, challenging in that, um, you know, I mean, speaking, you know, being fortunate enough to be able to work from home um, for a big chunk of it. Um, but it, in within that, it was really stressful in that there was, um, you know, having clients who might not necessarily kind of, I mean, everyone's desperate, right? Everyone's trying to do as much as they can because it's kind of a scary situation, right? Everyone's trying to um, prove their worth to their next set of level of clients and whatnot. Um, but the expectations of work uh, and, you know, some people have the challenges of their kids running around, or, you know, and homeschooling, but also just <laughs> having to shop, you know, having to make three meals or your meals for the day, like taking that time out um, and going grocery shopping and like the kind of things that you have to prepare to do that shopping, you know, like just all the levels of it. And, um, and then I'm also speaking from a place of of privilege. Some people it's like just to even shop is really difficult because, um, you know, I mean, income right now, cash flow. you know, some people can do all the online shopping and it gets delivered to their door. Some people have to physically go. Some people don't have like, um, you know, wages that, that they could kind of like binge shop for the next two weeks or three weeks or whatever it is. So this is of course coming from a very specific place of, of privilege and, very, um, you know, feeling gratitude for just the simplest things. But the idea of COVID, um, having time um, and being able to kind of have, it's just a different time time organization, right? So um, as a creative person, in some ways, like now that some projects have been completed, having some time to kind of think in different ways. And our, our dream spaces are, operating on a different scale and you know it's been interesting this time so that kind of segues into um you know what i wanted to talk about with you as far as the projects you've been working on that you started before but now you know you have more time to uh kind of accelerate it but um I, i wanted to actually start with your own relationship to surfing um given you come from surf mecca the birthplace of surf and the kind of heart and soul of surf surf culture um, and how surfing in New York and our crappy waves and our, you know, kind of silly, you know, local surf culture has reignited your relationship and maybe intensified your own relationship to it. Um, Maybe you can start with your own relationship to it um, coming from Oahu. Yeah. So I was born in Honolulu Mm -hmm. and I grew up on the South shore and I started surfing, I learned to boogie board first at a really iconic spot in Waikiki called Walls or The Wall, depends on who you talk to. And (laughs) yeah, it's nuts. But you know, like there are so many surfers who started off as kids at The Wall, like Jerry Lopez and like all these old school um, North Shore surfers who went onto the North Shore, but you know. So started I started boogie boarding there and with my friend Diane, who you met, and we were kids, her parents would take us down there. And um, 
it was it was sort of inevitable. It's like you start boogie boarding and the next step is you're going to surf. It was sort of that kind of process. And, you know, it's, it's hard, like, it's hard to conceive of this, like, because this is the way I've grown up. But the more I've been, wor- you know, I, I, I know I'm a little tangential, but, you know, I've been working on this surf book and I've read a lot about Waikiki and the historic you know, nature of Waikiki. So to think that this was the place that was just taken for granted. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply seems sort of amazing to me now, but it was a place that we all took for granted. Like, you know, my parents would take us to Waikiki Beach, very, the various beaches in Waikiki, to, to swim, to play, to sit on the beach, to have the barbecues and all that stuff. It was just a part of the things that we did within our daily activities. And, what a foreign uh, feeling. <laughs> I know. That's a feeling that feels yeah. like now. Uh-huh. I know. So, and then I learned to stand up surf on rented soft tops. And at that time, okay, look, I, I'm an older lady. <laughs> I'm 52. I'm going to put this in context because when I started to boogie board, those moray boogies were like a new thing. Like it was new on the market. And because it used to be that bodyboarders were serving on pipo boards, mm-hmm. right? Handmade pipo boards. Right. And, um, so for kids to have this f- soft Mori boogie was a lot safer because you wouldn't get nailed in the head and die. <laughs> so then, you know, the, the soft top, and they weren't actually hard on the bottom. They were actually soft all around those big boards. And it was, um, they were made by the same guy. I think his name is Doyle. Mori, mm-hmm. whoever the guy who started that, he made the first long boards. So I learned on those rented at Pops, which you surfed at when you, right? Didn't you go to Poplars? Mm-hmm. So learned how to surf out there. And then as I got older, you know, I bought my first single fin, Hawaiian Island Creation surfboard. And I feel like it could have been shaped by Eric Arakawa, you know, mm-hmm. way back mm-hmm. in the day, because he used to All be right. a part of HIC. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, and then, I mean, literally, I, then I went on from a single fin to a twin fin, and then I got a thrust, like, I kind of, like, from the late the, the 70s, 
like I started serving in the late 70s, right? 1979, 78 or something like that mm-hmm. as a kid and then progressed up through to the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I stopped surfing and moved to New York. Right. Mm-hmm. But my my home break was the other side of, if you pass Diamond Head, right? Waikiki is from Diamond Head to basically Ala Moana. That's like Waikiki mm-hmm. Bay. Right. There's actually another name for it and it goes out farther to downtown. But um, so then on the other side of Diamond Head, you go down to Coco Head. That's a whole nother bay that, you know, is much more residential. And so I lived in one of the valley neighborhoods down there. Mm. Um, uh, nearby the Moniz, I think the Moniz family lives in one of those um, valley neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And I think they surfed down. I mean, I'm much older than the Moniz. <laughs> I'm probably as old as the father. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I might be the father's generation. The father, in fact, maybe I'm even older than them. No, no, not at all. I can't imagine. I don't know. Somehow when you look back at your childhood, you see yourself as this young person and, and then you realize how old you are. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so I and I and I'm gonna be cagey about these breaks because obviously no one wants to blow yeah. up their home break. And that whole that whole bay area from Coco Head to Diamond Head. Uh, is, you know, there's there's home breaks for people and you got to be in the know to know how to go, where to go. Mm-hmm. And they're not that popular and you can sometimes be out there and have the place to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Waikiki breaks are more classic breaks. Mm-hmm. And so, and Ala Moana is like, you know, Ala Moana Bowls was a place that in the summertime, pros would surf so they kept mm-hmm. their, right. their their you know skill set together to hit you know right. pipeline because it's a left right. bowling break. Mm-hmm. So like Jerry Lopez when he was growing up, he would perfect his you know tube catching skills at <laughs> Almohada Bold. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is why, you know, when winter time rolled around, he was like on it. Right. So I, when you're growing up in this, um, growing up there surfing, like as far as like gender, like it was a pretty even or no, I mean, uh-uh. <laughs> no, not at all. But it also, you know, I would never, it wasn't also as crowded as, as it is. Today. Right. Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were, I'm trying to think how many women I ever saw. Not a lot, not mm-hmm. a lot. Um, it's now, a little bit, did you, were you treated differently? You know what? I didn't, you know, my surfing was also not as crazy as I am now. And we can talk about how this got reignited. It was real casual. Like mm-hmm. when, right. when, when we didn't have surf apps, you heard how yeah. big the waves were by, you could call into a number or on the radio, like the radio That's announcers right. would be like, it's six to eight on the North shore today and two to three on the South shore. And it's great, you know, and that <laughs> would be like in the middle of a, like, you know, in between songs and stuff, they would tell you, the oh, uh-huh. but people didn't really have to pay attention. Cause you could just drive yeah, to well. the nearest wherever and look over to see if the waves are breaking. Right. So like on the South shore, the waves break a lot farther out. Um, in the mm-hmm. ocean because the barrier reef on the right. south shore is further out. Like the north shore, the reef is kind of, some of it's closer to the beach, some of it's farther out to the beach, right? And you have all those different breaks, mm-hmm. you know, outer reef breaks, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But it has to be big enough to come into those right. really break. But so on the south shore, you're always looking at least a mile out from shore. So you're 
you're guessing at how big the waves might be based on the amount of whitewash you right. can see. You know what I mean? So the yeah. best place that people would go to to figure out how big the waves were coming in on the South Shore was Diamond Head Lookout. Mm-hmm. So you would drive up to Diamond Head and you would look over because you, you have this above ground view. Plus Diamond Head will always pick up a swell no matter how bad it is. And I don't know if it's somewhat of a point, although it's not a point break. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could kind of see, well, if it's breaking at Diamond Head, the winds look like this. Okay, maybe you'll go to, you know, the Almoana side or maybe you'll go home side, you know, in the valleys. So it was never, which is, you know, looking back on it now, this is why I think Hawaiians have these weird sizes, like how big the waves are, because it's always an estimate based upon where you are on land and you're guessing how far out the waves are and how big the white wash looks. I don't know. I'm making this up. Yeah. So even though you're looking out, you know, an app mile out, you don't really know till you're actually out there. Right. And then you're like, Oh, okay. Whoa. Look how big this is now. So I mean, I usually need to see a person <laughs> on a way. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, you roll up to some, like break out in the middle of the ocean. You have like just no idea. And you're like, right. Oh, Probably nothing. It looks fine. And then you, you're actually right. on it or you see someone on it. You're like, yeah. oh, wow. Okay. When yeah. there's no other kind of vi- visual yeah. markers when yeah. it's just out there. But like back to the original question about oh, like women. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I was, so I was young and I didn't really think in those terms like I do now. Like I go out now and I like, how many women are out this break? Oh, zero. Oh, two. You know, now I think about it. I didn't used to think about it. And like I said, why do you think about it now? Because it doesn't even come up in your mind because of, uh, I feel like this is a longer discussion. Well, because I'm, you know, I, I came through a much more activist period in my life. Um, I feel like I had a political coming of age in New York, I had a queer coming of age in New York where, you know, you just realize, oh, wait a second, there's systemic patriarchy, there's systemic racism, there's systemic this and that, and it's built and it into cultural all yeah, the spaces. Yeah, it infiltrates. Mm-hmm. So growing up, um, you know, I did feel, oh, yeah, there's more boys in the water than girls, but... Uh, you know, again, it wasn't as crowded as it is now. So you didn't feel the pressure of having to battle a guy for a wave. There was only once in my mind that I remember surfing with a bunch of neighborhood boys Mm -hmm. and we were just like in our early teen years. So the guys were just starting to get a little bit more like, you know, hogging the waves and getting a little bit more sassy. And so I remember just cutting in on this guy, like, fuck it. I'm just going to pal in front of this guy. And and then all the other guys went, yay. And then I was like, yeah, I just cut in on that guy, but it was neighborhood kids. So they all laughed it off and it was fine. Okay. But that was the only time where I felt like I was kind of like jockeying for a position. Mm-hmm. And through my teen years, like through high school, I surfed through college. I surfed. I would just go out to my home break, which was usually empty. Mm-hmm. I, I I could surf empty at my home break late in the afternoon, enjoy the waves all by myself, enjoy the sunset all by myself. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I would go really, really early in the morning to like Alamoana Bowls or something. And you could go early in the morning and there wouldn't be a bunch of people already out. All like right. I would go before, 
you know, you could actually be the first one out. It's exactly. like, I feel like it's so hard. There's yeah. always someone out there. Yeah, no, you, you could. You could do it in those days. Like, I remember going to Sandy Beach with some friends. We woke up at 5 a.m. We got into the water. It's still, we were the only three people out. The water's beautiful. beautiful. The sun's oh, up. Like, you could enjoy it back. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. talking about this is the 80s. I was in high school in the 80s. Right, right. It, well, it's, it was interesting, this idea of like, I mean, do you feel that now with this kind of more political consciousness um, maybe ruins it because now there's too much awareness for it as opposed to this innocence? I mean, it's that in conjunction with the idea of you, like, you know, there being less people. So the resource, the, the resource of the wave is plentiful. So there isn't as much kind of like competition. Um, so with with the kind of like bad waves, less waves, um, how competitive New Yorkers also can be, like in terms of our temperament. Um, maybe that also makes it, you know, oh, the absolutely. awareness of it is yeah, much more um, astute. But the um, the idea that uh, as a kid, there's so much of, there's an innocence to it on so many levels, right? Yeah. Um, those dynamics might not have, um, pl- you know, been a factor. Yeah. And also just the idea of the local quality of it. So it's like people, you know, it's not like, yeah. you know, New York, I mean, in Rockway, I feel like you run it. I mean, I feel like in New York, you still run into the same people, you know, yeah. you kind yeah. of know the community visually at least. And um, I feel like you can um, there. Well, I mean, I, you still have that sense, but I imagine before and when people weren't moving around as much, mm-hmm. um, there really was a sense of home break. Like you knew like uh, everyone in this break lives on that block over there or whatever yeah, it was, you know? Right. And so there was a very like personal relationship that people had to each other. Yeah. And um, I just, I also wonder why, why more boys were in the water at the time. I mean, it just, it, and, and this also, I think we can launch into your own kind of studies of, of yeah. um, Hawaiian culture. I mean, um, surf culture in Hawaii and yeah. kind of like the gender, um, the diverse, you know, gender diversity in, in its history. But um, why even in your time, like you maybe, know, maybe that's the story, like that it's outside of just your own relationship to it. It's, it's like, why were there so few girls in the I, water? You know, I don't know. I know there's, there must be a story there. And I think probably maybe an older generation of women would be able to tell that story because when I was, you know, a tween, the women's pro circuit had just started, right? So Rel Sun and Margot Oberg and mm-hmm. all those old timers, like we actually, my family actually went to a North Shore surf contest mm. and we went, we drove out to Sunset Beach and we, I couldn't, you know, you couldn't see fucking anything like humongous waves pounding out, like the sound of huge crashing North Shore oh waves. Oh my God, oh, incredible. Amazing. And, you know, I couldn't even see the surface. I couldn't. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tell what was going on on up there, but I just remember us going out there. I never, I don't even think I saw a surfer walk up on the beach at that point. Like, I didn't even know what was going on. Anyway. Well, the beach is also so crowded. Like, you couldn't really get a good vantage point. Yeah. And, and just looking, trying to find a surfer out in that playing field of tremendous, like, breaking waves and different peaks and all this stuff. Anyway. Oh, my God. So, you know, there was those women to look, look up to, but it, you know, I didn't see those women in the water, like, well, especially, you know, where I was. So I think there was percentage, a lot smaller percentage of women in the water. Like, I think that it's been male dominated since the modern era. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I am only now recently tracking down how that came about. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want to tangentially go too far down that rabbit hole unless there's, you know, we can touch on it. But, you know, it happens at, sort of the beginning of the 20th century, you know, basically Duke's generation mm -hmm. and, you know, women pretty much disappear from the lineup, you know, mm -hmm. from Hawaiian culture, you know, it pretty right. much dies off and for different reasons. There's a lot of different reasons why, and it's not um, from the missionaries per se, which is mm -hmm. usually how people kind of chalk it. The missionaries didn't want people to surf. It's not exactly how it went down. Mm -hmm. um, oh. But so since the modern era, which was very, Americanized and mm -hmm. very patriarchal. I mean, you know, Western culture is extremely patriarchal and it defined acceptable culture in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. So right. there were all these different layers of culture, you know, the, the immigrant Asians who came, the Hawaiian culture that was originally there that also had already been adapted to Western culture mm -hmm. from the mid 19th century through the royalty. You know, the royalty actively embraced Western um, conventions, you know, mm -hmm. the way to govern uh, monetary policy. Like there's a lot of stuff that they willingly adopted in order mm -hmm. to stay current with other global powers. Mm -hmm. The Hawaiian royalty was actually very savvy. They were very interesting. They did not just get taken over, like mm -hmm. sort of commonly thought mm -hmm. that what happened to Hawaii. They had their own agency for a long time, and they did these deals with various um, Western and European powers, you know, the Americans, the, the French, the, the English, the Germans, Russians, even who had come in. Right. What year did uh, Hawaii become, um, get folded into? Uh, one it, it, so it, it, it was sort of a gradual process, but the mm -hmm. takeover, there was a takeover by the U.S. military mm -hmm. in... 1893 mm. and that was when okay this is I don't want to bore anyone but the the history is basically um there was a group of American business people who were some of them were the descendants of the first missionaries who came to Hawaii earlier in the 19th century uh, so these are like the grandchildren the children and grandchildren of the very first missionaries who were born and raised in Hawaii mm -hmm. then educated Educated separately mm -hmm. in their own school, mm -hmm. Punahou, which is a very famous school in, in the islands, mm -hmm. and then sent 
to the East Coast to get their Ivy League education or private school mm-hmm. education, where they were kind of indoctrinated into this, you know, Eurocentric way of thinking that white males at the top of the pyramid should run the world. So they returned to Hawaii from their East Coast educations mm-hmm. and then said, okay, how are we going to make money, guys? Let's, right, right. How do we let's, capitalize on what we how have? How do we here? capitalize? And what was going on during this period of you know in the 19th century? Well, look at the agricultural system of the South. Mm-hmm. Look right. at the crops of the South, how wealthy the South was. So they took these ideas and brought them back to Hawaii. So what is the first crop that mm-hmm. they started to plant in Hawaii? Sugar. Mm-hmm. Sugar is the slave crop. Mm -hmm. Sugar started the slave trade in the Americas, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So they came back with these ideas. Sugar and cotton, right? Well, sugar first. Cotton comes a little bit later in in the United Uh States, actually. Um, Like the triangle, the famous triangle of the sugar, the goods that got converted to um, from the Caribbean to Europe, Africa. And then there's like rum. Yeah. Rum was a big part of that. And yeah, I mean there were several there was a bunch of crops, right? right. That, mm-hmm. that started. But I believe that originally sugar was the one that took off, especially right. in South America and the Caribbean. And then mm-hmm. the Americans started with sugar and then they switched over to cotton in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. But whatever. How many years did that go on for? Four hundred years? How long was the slave trade? Yeah. Something like a long that. Time. A long time. <laughs> so uh, hundreds of years, yeah. So the funny thing, I don't know if it's not funny is the wrong word, but the interesting thing in that and that was that when oops (laughs) when sugar takes off in hawaii what's happening is the civil war in the in between the north and the south so sugar was no longer being sent from the south to the north so the hawaiian sugar planters were like okay good in the 1800s in the 1800s 1800s. yeah yeah they start planting sugar i don't exactly know the date off the top of my head but the Mm. first Chinese immigrants who come in to start to work on the plantations is like 1860 something, right? And the Civil War is is when in the 60s, right? Isn't it really? We got to check um, our dates here. Yeah, I know it's before that because the the thing was signed in I think was it 1864? It was the end of the war? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so even right. So if it's the early 60s, 1860s, mm-hmm. you know, you're still at this time right. that. You know, there's no there's no products being sent from the south. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so the early plantation owners are like, okay, let's you know get this sugar industry going, mm-hmm. and this is how they're making their money. So from that time period, once those sugar planters gained uh, control of land mm-hmm. and money, and they didn't have enough resource, human resources to plant the sugar, which is extremely laborious, which is why it was a slave crop, because who the hell wants to do sugar? It's so horrible. Mm-hmm. Then they started to bring in the Asian immigrants. Mm-hmm. So in, I would say, one of the early waves, my Chinese side of the family comes over. My great-great-grandfather comes mm-hmm. through Hong Kong. He was originally... Mm-hmm. I think Guangdong province or something comes through Hong Kong in 1876 or something. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of, kind of early in that period. Right. Uh, So wait, I know (laughs) we're trying to answer. So, so what happens is, so once those American, um, you know, missionary families gain a foothold in the money and the land, they obviously need the royalty to, 
acquiesce to their demands of how they want to do trade with the United States and everyone else. So they start to plot against the royalty. And mm-hmm. at this point, it's David Kalakawa, and they make him sign a treaty with the United States and something called the Bayonet um, Constitution or something, and they made him sign off on a bunch of stuff. Kalakawa ends up dying early from some illness, and so his sister becomes the queen, Liliokalani. And so she rules for about three years. And in the meantime, you know, these planters, you know, these businessmen keep taking more and more control to their finding like, okay, you know what? I also think there's a little sexism involved. Like, I don't think they would have maybe necessarily just rolled through Hawaii and grabbed the monarchy if a male king was still. But when they saw this woman, you know, holding the seat, they're kind of like, okay, let's just take it over. Mm-hmm. So they literally, with the backing of the U.S. Marines, now not the government itself, like they didn't communicate with the president who was Grover Cleveland or someone at the time. They just like with the backing of the the ambassador to Hawaii from the United States and the U.S. military uh, Marines who were stationed in Honolulu Harbor, they literally marched through downtown with their guns, got to the palace, Iolani Palace, surrounded it and said, ours. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, I mean, that, that, I, you know, uh, just to go back to the gender thing, like I, I think that would have happened despite just because that was, I mean, yes, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, but I also think that like at that time, American imperialism like, it was already on the it was happening everywhere in Latin America. Like it's just, this is just the way the U S operated. And then the CIA later, like it's just yeah, continued right. on and it's on. True, it's mean, true. Yeah. You know, this is just the way they operate. This is ours for the taking and that's it. And I was, you know, yeah. I don't know if like those companies like Dole, like if that's also where they're, they yeah. came from or Dole, were they later? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dole. So yeah. Dole who started in sugar and went to pineapple. Absolutely. Dole was one of the descendants of the missionary family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then later bananas, right? Also yeah. Bananas. I think they did different things in different parts. Of the world. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they had. Dole and Chiquita, I know they, they did a lot. Yeah. Of- I mean, but Dole, Dole was in Sanford. Okay. Wait, I, I mean, so the Dole family, mm-hmm. the guy who starts the plantation is the nephew of Sanford Dole, who was one of the conspirators of the takeover mm-hmm. of the government, mm-hmm. who he also was a lawyer and became one of the first judges in the islands. Interesting. So he was, you know, a... Uh, mm-hmm. a yeah. Basically character. what Mitch McConnell is doing right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> setting yeah. up all the judges that just, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so let's bring this back. So, um, I mean, I love all this history. Yeah. This is why I, I always, we always have these great conversations. And I, you know, Professor Moon is very appropriate. Like, I you know, have all this amazing stuff to um, you know, discuss. <laughs> yes, to discuss, to um, educate us all. Um, but as far as surfing is concerned, and as far as, like, I guess, we got into all this because it was about the overall kind of culture of Hawaii, which is, you know, completely related to obviously it's history, the history of U S imperialism and the culture that that breeds as well. And that infiltrates and shifts. So like the history of surfing in Hawaiian culture, it was very equal in terms of gender. Um, yeah. In the old days, pre-contact. Right. right. Pre- and then, pre-contact. 
yeah. the missionaries with the, you know, like, oh my God, naked bodies and, you know, yeah. leisure. And they just try, you know, try to eradicate that from the culture. Um, saw, you know, I don't know, maybe they saw it as this kind of like pagan kind of ritual or I don't yeah. know, like, I feel well, like that is somehow connected to. You know, as far as the reading that I came like, across, what it mm-hmm. seemed like the missionaries, okay, first of all, the missionaries did not like naked bodies and there were a lot of. Yeah scantily clad bodies they hated it no matter what yeah that but, was a, a sign of barbar barbar barbarianism and yeah. you know wherever they went in the world um you know. but what they hate they hated the hula the most like they really went after the hula. gyrations they hated the gyrations and uh, the gyrations oh and God. um you know Hilarious. they really went about condoning the hula and the hula did go underground because of wow. the intense you know, hatred of it. Um, But surfing was a little bit mixed. How they went after surfing was, you know, because the missionaries were, you know, Puritans and they thought you should work. It was a work ethic. So if you are not working during the day, you're not being a good citizen. Mm -hmm. You're not Mm -hmm. being a good person. You're a, you're, you're just a barbaric heathen. Mm -hmm. If you're out there and back back in the day, there are these Hawaiian legends where People would be out in the fields tending the taro. They look over or they see a sign, a flag goes up on one of the heiaus, which is the temples. There there are there were temples dedicated to surf. Mm-hmm. And if the surf was up, like Diamond Head, there was a there was a heiau. Um, oh my goodness, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. There was a heiau where now there's a school that's that's there. But the a flag would go up, which meant surf's up. People would drop their tools and go down to the beach and surf (laughs) hello it is ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes counting your steps you know all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VTW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. For real, this is not some made-up stuff that <laughs> we are in the modern age. Oh, yeah, I'm going to call into work and say I'm sick, or, you know, let me skip class. I'm going to go surfing. Mm-hmm. Like, the Hawaiians did that. It was acceptable. If it was good surf, you knew that gods were sending waves. So <laughs> I love it. You know, miss an appointment with. Oh my god! I must have been Hawaiian in, in many past lives. I think, I think there. I think there are a lot of surfers who really that ethic is real. You know, because you yeah. know it's a special day. If there's a real soil that comes in, it's like oh, it's a date with Moana. You know, yeah. the ocean. <laughs> I mean, I think that's really beautiful as far as, um, you know, I guess people who do outdoor sports, but especially with surfing, because yeah. it really is um, kind of like paying homage to nature, right? Like, na- like nature dictates 
our relationship to time and our relationship to activity and, and how we organize our life. Right. So like, I mean, I feel like that is, that still exists now, right? Like if there's a way of you, you especially in New York, because we don't have <laughs> conditions yeah. ideal, you know, every day. So when it hits, we're on it. If you're not on it, you missed it. You missed it. And so, um, it's like, it's like being able, I feel like it's such a gift to be able to be in this urban environment and to still be connected to like, what is the moon doing right now? What's the wind doing? What's, you know, where, what direction is the swell coming in? What direction is the wind coming in? Like always like when you're in this urban landscape, kind of yeah. like looking up and noticing things because you're assessing what nature is doing yeah. and to have that connection despite the urban jungle is yeah. just, um, I love it. And I feel like it's, at the, at the min, minimal, you know, like, you know, it's funny when most people are like you can surf in New York and it's like, wow, there's an ocean here. And so this idea of being connected to nature and knowing what we're living in and not being caught up in this kind of tunnel vision of um, our urban realities and that as a metaphor for, you know, everything for life, like that we're disconnected from this larger thing. So um, maybe let's bring this fast forward to New York. So um, you had this beautiful Hawaiian kind of. Yeah. I mean, it boggles my mind that I moved to New York mm-hmm. and I did not surf for 25 years. Like when, I moved, 90s, when yeah. I moved to New York, I, I just didn't. It, I was like, okay, I'm, I came to New York to live in the urban jungle. I came to be an artist. I came to pursue all these things that, which I thought were so romantic when I was in Hawaii. Like skyscrapers and, you Uh know, concrete everywhere and muggers and like, you know, you know, music and and whatever, art art galleries and all this. Just surfing just was like something from my past, along with my own identity of being a, a Hawaiian island born local girl. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so even when I would meet people and I would, you know, you know, say hey, I'm from Hawaii and people would not be able to identify my race and, mm-hmm. you know, just that ambiguity. But my past was not something that anyone had a context for. So that also I just kind of like put aside. Mm-hmm. So um, more, so you were able to kind of construct your own new identity. Yeah, or- I mean, yeah, I did construct a new identity, but like you don't really think about how much your identity is informed by how people also see you because then you sort of reflect it in them in some way. Cause they, if they put you in context, like, Oh, you're a, a queer person or you're a, you know, gender nonconforming person, or you're a, whatever it is, you're set of, you know, you're Asian in some way, or you're, you know, a person of color somehow, like, you know, people put you in and you, you understand when you're interacting with them that you're kind of, they're trying to figure out where to place you in their own, context whatever their background might be Mm -hmm. so like with that I just felt like oh yeah you know I'm an artist Mm -hmm. uh you know I'm I'm a I'm a queer person I am you know I'm a multiracial person you know but it wasn't ever Hawaii was not ever really a part of something that my experience could be conveyed to someone else Mm -hmm. So people mm-hmm. can understand Hawaii, but when I knew when people thought Hawaii in their brain, something, some other image popped up in their head, a palm yeah. tree and a hula girl, I don't know what. But in my mind, Hawaii has a very different and multifaceted, you know, con, you know, meaning construct. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. When I, 
when I started surfing again here, it was almost like a little cork had been unplugged and all my Hawaiian-ness started mm -hmm. to flood forth. Mm -hmm. And and I realized like, oh, you know, my whole foundation is built upon this fact that I grew up in these islands. Mm -hmm. I had this experience of culture. I had this experience of race. I had this experience of the ocean. I had this experience of living in a very small contained geography in which you always knew where you were in relationship to the sun, mm -hmm. uh, in relationship you know, to north, south, east, west, based upon how the islands are configured. Mm -hmm. And you were never lost. Like, you know, you just couldn't get lost. And there's right. something about that that gives you a sense of security that, I mean, I, not having grown up somewhere else where I feel like, like you grew up, you know, in New York, where I think you probably were more on guard <laughs> earlier. You understood how to be on guard earlier oh, on yeah. in your life, mm -hmm. you know, like, you didn't have to be on guard in Hawaii. You didn't lock your doors. You, mm. you know, I mean, as kids, we roamed around. My, I don't know if my parents ever knew where we were. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I had that. I had that too in New York. You know, like I was a latchkey kid, but the, you know, like I had, I had the responsibility. Like I had to kind of be tough on my own because right. I was out there. But I feel like it was less scary, you know, in the seventies in New York City for a kid than it is now in a different yeah. way. I don't know. Like, yeah. I feel like if I had a kid, I'd be scared for them to be out. Like, I'd always be worried. But I don't know. Maybe we know more about the dangers. Of. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot to be afraid of. I mean, I got mugged. I, you know, like, bullies would come up to me. You know, was, yeah. there was always something. It was definitely scary. Yeah. I mean, I was just fortunate. But anyway, so, I mean, and also, I, I really like the part of your kind of relationship to surfing New York um, in that you also didn't, you're like, there's no surfing here. This is like your, yeah. your, your barometer of what surfing is, is Hawaii. So when you come here, you're like, what is this? This is not Karen, a surf. I lived here for 25 years. I had been to the beach. I would go to Reese Beach with friends and mm -hmm. I never saw any surf. Like I had been to the Rockaways. I, I, I never saw a surfer. I never saw waves. <laughs> I don't know how it was. You weren't looking in the right place. <laughs> I, it was concealed to me somehow. It was, I don't even understand what happened. Like, and when I would go into the water, I would just be like, this is disgusting. <laughs> it's like my friends from the Caribbean. They're like, yeah, this is, I don't do this color water. <laughs> yeah, this, this color is like the color of poo. I don't know why this color is this way. But, so, I'm just going to jump to this summer. So three years ago, I think it was three years ago, I went home to visit family and I stayed in the Airbnb and in the, the underneath, I don't know, it wasn't a basement. It was just like kind of under the house. There was this huge old waterlogged log. Somebody's uh -huh. So I just asked the owner of the house. I'm like, Hey, can I just take the surfboard out? And he's like, yeah, sure. So I lugged this, big old tanker in this rental car. And I would go down to the beach almost every morning. I, I was either swimming or I'd, I'd paddle out. And, you know, it was really small that summer. I, there was, I think I had missed a swell, which was fortunate. So <laughs> I, you know, I paddled out and. This was after not fucking surfboard for 25 years. Well, you know, I had, I had visited home once and went with my cousin and she had a big log for me. And I remember getting up and surfing with her and she's like, Oh, wow, you can still get up. I'm like, yeah, funny, <laughs> funny that I can still stand up. Okay, great. Anyway. So it was the same. I was weak and everything, but you know, there's something your, your brain is still like, 
this is what you do. You're no, and your brain doesn't actually think your body just, you know, uh, muscle memory is like, you should be doing this even though I was weak. So I wish I had that muscle memory now after nuts. I mean, it was two feet. It was tiny, you know? So I come back to New York and I'm kind of just thinking like, damn, I wish I could, you know, and I'm also getting older. I'm like 49 at this point. And I'm like, I gotta like keep healthy. What am I going to do? Like, maybe I should take Kung Fu. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. So I go and hang out with some friends of mine. And I was telling them about having surfed in Hawaii and blah, blah, blah. And how I want to keep in shape. In New York. In New York. Yeah. So my friend Naomi, who's a, 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 what do you call it? She's a Muay Thai person and she has her own gym and blah, blah, blah. And you, you met her. So she's like, oh, well, you know, I've been taking surfing lessons in the Rockaways, so we should go. I'm like, what are you talking about? Surfing lessons? What do you mean surfing lessons? It's like, beginning of the end. Yeah, surfing lessons. I'm like, the Rockaways? We're in the Rockaways. I've seen the Rockaways. She's like, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, surf, you can go. We can go. So literally, I don't know, the next weekend or a couple days later, she and I drive to Long Beach. Mm-hmm. I buy a surfboard. I buy a seven-foot you know, that seven foot board I have. Mm-hmm. And we were out almost every other day. Like for some reason that summer, there were waves, like this was 2017 uh-huh. and the waves are breaking. And then it was just, I don't fucking know. Like something just went off in my head. I'm like, what the hell have I been doing? Why have I not been coming to the beach? Why did I give this up? Why didn't I think to like, that there was surfing here. And, and the fact that I saw people in the water, I'm like, look at these people. They all knew about this, this whole time. <laughs> so then I was thinking, I knew you had been surfing because we were Facebook friends, but we were not, I mean, we had been acquaintances for many years. I've known you since 2003 right. or something. Yeah, I, mean, I, I haven't seen you in a while. And definitely not in this context. It's like New York nightlife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would see you at like uh, the Caddy Shack and uh-huh. well, your magazine, and then yeah. and then I lived in Bushwick. We both lived in Bushwick for a minute, yeah. And then yeah, so I would see you. We would pass but, by each other, but we just never connected. Yeah, I thought you were such a weirdo. So <laughs> I, and I recall, I thought to be your friend, but you were so weird. <laughs> I'm gonna let that come and pass by. Um, so I saw. No, I love ribbing you. <laughs> I saw on your Facebook page that you would have these pictures of you surfing, not rock waves, but like Indo, like you were on these giant waves, and I would, and so when I was surfing at rock, I was thinking, I gotta get in touch with that Karen song. Cause I know she's like a total surfer. So cut to whatever, a month well, later. You're walking on the beach. I'm walking on the beach in Rockway and I double take you, you double take me. I'm like, and I, it's a context in which I'd never seen you. So I was like, wait, she looks familiar. And now then it hit me. And I, I think we passed by each other and then I turned and it was like, great. And I can't and literally. Literally, after that, it hasn't stopped, and that was that was the year where we had the September to remember, right? Yeah, I mean, it started actually in August because there was a hurricane swell that came through, and I remember you and I going to Long Beach. That was was my first trip to Long Beach, but it was my first wake up to say, "Oh, wait a second, the waves can get big here." Well, the funny thing is that you would be like, 
okay, yeah, this was fun, but I got to go. I got other stuff to do. And I was just like, what do you mean you have other stuff to do? This is it, Grace. And and I think, I don't know if, it's, if you're Hawaiian and have this mentality like, oh, the waves will come again. Like, And I'm just like, no, you don't understand. This is the season right now. This is so rare. It's like, it's offshore. Every, and then it, it was like the sickest month and it didn't stop. I mean, to the point where we would sit out days that were like three feet and clean because we were so tired of surfing. There was that week. We kind of wanted it like a day off because it was nonstop and we had other things we needed to do. But I remember you were so relaxed about it. And I was like, you don't understand. This is so rare. And now you do because a few September's now. Oh my God. Because 2018 kind of sucked. But I remember that one week that where you met up with Alejandra uh-huh. And then the three of us yeah, surfed everywhere. that hurricane. Every day. Yeah. And that was one of the swells for me to remember. It was like that whole week was so like that, that one sealed it for me. I was like, okay, well, I guess I got to start getting a million boards. <laughs> I got to get all the various wetsuits. Oh yeah. You're, I you're, gotta, you're, yeah, you're gear get all shopping. The gear. I'm not going to stop in the winter time. Cause I just got to keep going. Cause, oh because there's no reason. Once you start, if you stop again, it's pointless. You just got to surf through every condition, <laughs> every oh temperature so change. Let's bring this now to to COVID times because I think it's, um, you know, so we've been surfing, surfing, and now looking back, given where we are now, it's, it's, it feels like also an innocent time, right? We could just go out. I, my God, we, you know, we were watching When Harry Met Sally last night and seeing New York. And the way, you know, all the spaces and the way people are together. And there's a scene of them at a baseball, a Giants game and like all these people and doing the wave. And it was just like, oh, my God, this looks so crazy. It's so crazy to see so many people in, in one field of view all together. Like, I mean, it, just visually, it was like it made me very emotional, you know. Yeah. Um, and then all the New York spaces that I'm so used to seeing through the years um, and to see people in it. And wow. So here we are in COVID and, um, and then also some evolutions in your life have taken place since right. um, all these amazing years of surfing in New York, where it's reignited your own passion for it. Um, and uh, you had cancer and going through, yeah. you know, through it through COVID and, um, and then from surfing and not surfing, you know, I, I just find it, uh, really interesting because you know when when COVID first happened and we were all on lockdown, it felt really dark in New York, and it, it you know I had no appetite for surfing. It was yeah. it felt so irresponsible, and yeah. I also just wasn't in the mood. Like it just um, you know, and also the winter surf. There's so much more to surf, right? And then um, just the logistical aspects of it um, and getting there, and um, you know even bathrooms and suiting up and what you know just everything and also just the feeling of of movement felt very um perilous everything felt perilous um and then and then thinking oh yeah two months like that's not a sacrifice like you know we can it's okay we don't have to surf like what's the what's the big deal for this you know we there's a bigger thing happening and this idea of kind of social responsibility, you know, at that point we really, I mean, we know, we don't know much about it, but we knew less. And it was um, just hearing all the stories of what was happening on the front lines, talking to friends who worked on the front lines, like, you know, there's just 
so it would be unfathomable. Like for me, it was just like, I just couldn't for myself, but I also didn't, I felt like everyone should have, has their own relationship to surfing, has their own relationship to access to it as well as um, how they feel about surfing in this time and where they surf. And, you know, I just felt, I just thought that everyone should just be conscious of it. And, you know, it wasn't like everyone should or shouldn't, um, I think it was more a matter of like personal, like, I think on the most part, everyone should question it. But I think at the end of the day, if you must, then you have to do, but know the consequences and know like the consequences, not just for yourself, but for others, you know, like, I think what COVID really showed us was that we are so integrally connected to each other, right? Like mm-hmm. I couldn't just go off to Indo and be like, all right, I'm going to sit this one out. This like affects Everyone, despite class, despite race, despite gender, despite national borders, state borders, all of it, right? Mm-hmm. So this idea of um, our actions affecting, like literally affecting someone else's life and livelihood. And um, so I was really, at first I was really afraid because I remember that first weekend in lockdown, I don't know if you just didn't know yet, but you were out surfing and I was like, race, what are you doing? You're you're in the most vulnerable kind of like category of your immune system being compromised and you're out surfing and in Rockway it's crowded and what are you doing? And then I think after that you stop surfing and then, and then it was back and forth. So I kind of want to hear because I think it's, it's really great. And kind of also, um, well, you, you, Tell us well, let's just, I'm just going to give a little context on it. So at the end of August, I got diagnosed with, with breast cancer. Right. And in fact, I mean, you're like the first person that I told because we were surfing. We were like, <laughs> I would right. see you the next day. And I'm like, okay, yeah. Karen, like I found a lump. Go to, I got to yeah. go get a biopsy. And then mm-hmm. I had the biopsy. And then I'm like, right. okay, it's, it's oh, cancer. Yeah. But the whole time we were still surfing through all of the, all of my diagnosis right. and then my early treatment, which was t- two surgeries. And um, like, so this is pre COVID. So even during this time period, I felt like surfing was something that I needed to continue to do. And there was something about, you know, the feeling of exuberance and health mm-hmm. that surfing mm-hmm. gives me. Mm-hmm. And also strangely, like this feeling like my relationship to fear, like, mm-hmm. There were a couple of days that we went out that one day that was super huge when you and um, Tal and I went out mm-hmm. and it was out in Long Beach and it was probably the biggest day I've ever seen in New York. It was a big day. And I had just had a lumpectomy and my oh, right, that day, yeah. and I was like, maybe, maybe a three weeks from that surgery or something. And, <laughs> and and I was like, you know what? I got, I just got to go. I'm like not in tip top shape. I'm not mm-hmm. whatever, but like we're out in the water. Gotta get in the water. And I think there's something about like, of course, when you get a cancer diagnosis, you're, you're scared, mm-hmm. but like, I'm also scared of giant waves. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what fear is worse. Like <laughs> looking down the ledge of a giant <laughs> Call it out well, you're, you're on like a little potato chip. Were you, were you riding that like single I fin potato have, chip? You know what? I, oh no, I, I didn't have the right board. I didn't like. <laughs> you know what's crazy? So like, so I'm like, doing, you know, so I'm doing this cancer for low have, volume, teeny potato. No, chip I, I, I mean, it was 
that was like pushing that was like an eight foot, ten foot day. That was a big was, day. I don't know if you remember. You remember it, right? Yeah, I remember, yeah. I but I had I had the right board for the day, so I had fun. <laughs> you know what I did after that day? I, you bought I, stuff I bought a step up from Use Surfboards Hawaii. I'm totally plugging them. Yes. Alex, Use Surfboards Hawaii Alex, is the, shit. the best. Yeah. So I ordered one like the whenever the next day. <laughs> but anyway, so so I felt like that was always a part of my like recovery and treatment. So then when January rolls around, my next set of treatments was to go through chemo, which was six infusions, three weeks apart. So it set up this kind of schedule for me that was- And each infusion took hours, right? Each infusion took hours. So my specific type of cancer had a profile that was, uh, I would say it's aggressive, but I don't know if they talk about it that way anymore. Like I think the way cancers talk about it, there's all these specifics to it these days. But anyway, so I needed to have f- four different types of drugs pumped through me, through IV. So each infusion would be like a f- five to six hour event at the wow. infusion place. Mm-hmm. And there was a cycle to it. So like the first days I would feel kind of okay because they give you all these steroids and all these drugs to kind of keep the sickness of the chemo at bay. And then that week I would just start to feel like garbage. Like you, 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 the best description for me was just like, you feel super hungover, like poison. It's just been poisoned. Mm. Stomach's all out of whack. Mm. Brain's out of whack. Your brain is foggy. Like, you know, like when you're hungover in your brain, you just cannot think clearly like, like Mm -hmm. that kind of feeling. And then the second week you'd feel a little better. The third week, third week I'd feel a little bit better and then I'd start that cycle all over again right mm-hmm. so at the beginning of that there were still some waves coming in so I was making sure I still got out to surf even though again I'm not in top condition but every time I'd go out there we're now in the dead of winter the cold air the breathing the mm-hmm. surfing the exuberance of like catching waves or right. just getting beat up <laughs> <laughs> just made me feel good. And I would feel like, oh, I can feel some vitality coming back. So I actually felt like surfing was helping me push through all this chemo treatment. Mm-hmm. So then cut to March and, mm-hmm. you know, suddenly every, all the shit's hitting the fan. It's like New York suddenly woke up and was mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, right. schools are starting to shut down. And then the governor's finally like getting on board to like, okay, people stop moving around. This is what's happening. We don't have enough ven- ventilators. So in my mind, I'm, I know that I'm in a, a population that's, you know, at risk because my immune system's suppressed. And actually during my infusions, like at least two infusions before we actually shut down, the nurses were starting to talk about it and they were already making preparations wow. and they were already screening people like, do you feel sick? Do you have a cough? Do you blah, blah, blah. Wow. You know, uh-huh. They were already kind of prepared, but they knew that mm. Had to keep the cancer patients going. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, what are your options here? You right, know, right, of you stop your treatment. You're potentially allowing your cancer cells to grow right. back. Or whatever. So, um. so in my mind, I'm thinking I got to keep surfing because I know that the surfing is actually keeping my immune boosted. Mm-hmm. And I had also like came across those uh, videos by this guy Vim Hoff, who's like this breathing expert. Mm-hmm. who through his breathing techniques and diving into cold water, like all that cold bath stuff comes from him. Uh, uh-huh. Ice baths, that comes from mm-hmm. him. 
And he's like, this is how you boost your immune system. And he, he has done tests where they've injected him with like some kind of virus and he was able to fight it off because his immune system is so strong. Wow. So in my mind, this is what's, I'm like, oh, this is what winter surfing is all about, right? Mm -hmm. Like that cold water immersion, all that breathing is keeping my immune system strong. So I was thinking this is good. Well, we're not really immersing uh, because we're wearing a final weather. But it's pretty close. <laughs> I, 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 I come out of the water. The aerosols, you're air breathing cold, it more furiously. I, I think there's something, I mean, it's not exactly the Wim Hof method, but there is something to it. The ions. I mean, I, I think that it's it's boosting. I mean, it's not like you're warm. I mean, you still get cold as hell. And that changing out of your suit and everything, you're still like blasting yourself with cold air. Anyway, so when we went into that serious lockdown and I was talking to you and I was like, oh, maybe I'll go out on Saturday. And you're like, are you crazy? <laughs> and then and then all these other things started to happen. Then I then I kind of woke up. I was like, whoa, we're we're in a really we're in a hot zone. I didn't really, I mean, we were in a hot zone two weeks before that, but uh, I'm glad I- The news hadn't really circulated and it, like the, how dire, it felt yeah, like, oh, well, an old person and if you, yeah. you know, it, felt like it was still manageable. And, and the city was still kind of open and then suddenly it shut down and then everyone was. So then I stopped for at least six weeks, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I stopped going out. I was like, forget yeah. it. It's too. Yeah. But I, I had, then I had at least two more infusions in between- and they were really difficult. Mm -hmm. I actually felt really shitty and um, really lethargic and just ill. And and so in my mind, I was thinking, oh, I really actually need to get back in the water. Mm -hmm. So this last week, when was it? Last week that I went out? Yeah. Wait, no, the other, maybe I went out one more time before that. Yeah. So a week ago before that, I think I went out for the first time after we've been in lockdown. Mm -hmm. And I complain to you about how many people in the Rockaways are not social. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh my God. I don't know. I don't know. Does the beach community think you will just feel like really like comfortable? Like we're okay? I don't know. I have a feeling it's a lot of people who maybe don't live in the Rockaways who are still coming out to surf like myself. I hate to, you know, but like, you know, I'm in that category, but it's like, I feel much more sensitive to how far I am from people. Like I was paddling away from like takeoff spots because I was like, mm -hmm. Whoa, dudes, you're yeah. like, you're like three feet from me or do not mm -hmm. give a shit. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I, I do know for sure that the surfing has boosted my energy and my immune and, I know it's necessary, but how to surf safely while we're still in COVID and COVID is not going to be over. 
for, I mean, I really don't think unless we find a vaccine, yeah, I just it's not. And, and I'm, I mean, I, in the time frame that that it'll take for a virus to kind of like wane, and, and also I'm, who knows? I really it's just like who knows? We don't know, and and people are just sick of being locked down, so they're getting very careless out there. I think mm-hmm, is what's yeah. happening, mm-hmm. and kind of sense of optimism with the weather being yeah, nice. Like I feel like before the first month was really dark because it, it was cold, cold and dark out, and everything about it was just yeah. Definitely. And the other thing I am worried about is the second wave that seems to be, uh, you know, I've read more about it and I've, you know, based upon the 1918 flu pandemic, there's this guy who wrote this book about the 1918 flu and he's been like giving all these interviews lately. And he's just like, what happened with their second wave was that it hit late fall, winter of the following year. Basically we're following this pattern. Exactly. And the, the the virus had mutated, and then it hit a younger population. Shit. So basically, the 1918 flu had the same signature as COVID did, where it was hitting the older population and yeah, a younger right. population, mm-hmm. like you know children, and then it hit this middle, the healthy, the healthy. Mm-hmm. and it has to do with it's your immune system that's actually attacking yourself is what the thing that brings people down, right? So it's not the virus necessarily. It's how the immune system turns around and tries to, you know, shut it down and it overwhelms your system. There's a name mm-hmm. I can't remember. But that, the death rate was quicker. Autoimmune, like an autoimmune uh, kind of thing? You know what? It's called c- cyto blah, blah, blah. You know, I'll look it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, there's a name for it, that, and it, but it has to do with your immune oh. system. getting triggered by the virus to then attack it and then it overwhelms your own system and that's when that whole pulmonary thing happens so i don't know like that scared me i was like okay yeah we're probably in the point where the virus is mutating at this moment and especially since we aren't shutting down across the board board anywhere so maybe we flatten the curve in new york but look at these crazy places opening back up in texas and minnesota and florida and you know it's going to spike again. Yeah. And it probably will spike again in New York just as soon as we start, like, mm-hmm. you know, wandering around and weeks from now. <laughs> yeah, two weeks from now. So, yeah. I, I mean, the, the upside is that we all, like, you know, I just got my antibody test. Oh, and, like, and people, what? like, the testing. Now I read about some kind of mail in tests, like, people yeah. can do at home. And who knows how accurate that's going to be? But, like, and who knows how accurate the antibody test is going to be? But it's uh, hopefully, and also, I mean, I, I, you know, initially they were saying um, the um, what it, not immunization, what do you call it? Vaccines yeah. would take like a year and a half to properly test. But then today in the newspaper, they're like, oh, something shows good signs of, you know, now it's moving to human trials. And it's like, oh my God, this is record speed. Maybe it's possible, but also, oh, how much do we rely on this, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, I think the shortcuts problem- are being taken, you know, I mean, especially given. The and um, the antibody test, the flood of it in the market, so much of it is like not even legit because the FDA just opened right. the floodgates. Right, right. exactly. Like, well, the regulations no. have been laxed, so they're going to mm-hmm. pump out these things that say, "Okay, this is going to give you the antibody mm-hmm. test, and this is your yeah." People are going to make money off of it. Companies yeah. make money yeah. off of it. Not even going to be accurate. Yeah, I mean, have I, a false sense of whatever, and because your your antibody came back negative, right? No, I'm still waiting. Are you still waiting? Well, so yeah. a, a, another friend of mine who's pretty sure she got it because her her ex got it and they share a child. The child mm. got, she got it, got tested positive. Whoa. Uh-huh. Child got it, very mild. And then she got symptoms. She mm-hmm. didn't get tested and neither did the child, but 
the doctors said, okay, just assume it's COVID if, if you know, your ex had it and you're sharing the child. But then she got the antibody test and it came back negative. So there's all these- I'm at least two. Yeah, I think that, but this puts the population like- the, the burden of security and security, but the burden of our health is on us to figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. We can't and this is really a public policy, like like this is not <laughs> an individual thing. This is like something that needs to be done, and that's why like our leadership, you know, national leadership, federal leadership, has been so important and sadly lacking really not just lacking but really getting in the way of things like yeah. i feel like if you know uh whose name will remain nameless yeah. would just get out of the way right maybe we'd be better off but i just feel like uh, just, oh god it's just i know and then all the politicians of that you know um, well yeah it's, i won't get into it but kind of capitalizing on it you know i mean look at all the things that they're trying to push through, uh, you know, thinking that nobody's paying attention. But no, I know we're, <laughs> it, everything seems like a disaster. <laughs> yeah. It feels, it feels bleak. It feels bleak, but it feels like it's <laughs> on us to decide what the best thing to do is, which is, I don't know. if Continue the work that we're doing, continue yeah. surfing in a safe way. Um, I think, uh, I, you know, our conversation, of course, as it does, goes here, there, everywhere. Um, but I do feel like there is this thread. And um, I mean, I think, um, I don't know if we kind of went through the, the real arc of your story in relationship to surfing. I mean, I guess the thing that I wanted to bring up was kind of like, how has your relationship to surfing, like in what ways has it been energized or like, what's the new lens that you have for surfing now that you've picked it up in New York of all places, um, that was, that's radically different and like really surprising for you, um, surfing in New York and this kind of second wave of surfing in your life. And then, um, the work that you're doing that you have been doing and that you've, you know, been doing during COVID, uh, the surf book that you were talking about. I feel like surfing's an essential part of my well being now. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, in a more conscious way, because it was and a part after, of your well-being. Well, as a kid, I don't think I really, it was something I did and something I enjoyed. I didn't have a community, like I didn't have a community of surf f- friends. I mean, I had, a, my brother would surf with me, my you know friend would surf with me, but I surfed alone a lot. Like I would mm-hmm. go out a lot on my own terms. Uh, oh. So it was something that was just there for me. But I think now it's, it, it feels absolutely essential to my mental well-being and my physical well-being. And I don't want to say it's an identity because I feel like surf identity is so fraught with a lot of weird marketing and, you know, the industry itself, which I think is incredibly sexist for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to, I guess, tap into what, surfing is not informed by what the commercial culture has been doling out. And I think a lot of what people adopt is what the commercial culture of all the brand and apparel, you know, doles out and who the hot surfers are. And, you know, like it's so narrow in its cultural expression. Mm -hmm. So do you think that's like really, I mean, yes, I tell here the devil's advocate, like it's been interesting because of Instagram and, 
other kind of avenues in which alternative surfers that aren't, you know, on the circuit, um, you know, all the free surfers, I mean, even they're prone to all those other biases, but right. um, there's more room for, you know, um, well, I I agree with you, and I, I feel like the interview that you did with Ashley Lloyd, like that was like here's here's this woman who lives outside of that like very narrow scope, and she is making a living making surfboards, and she has her own culture, and the and the culture of the women that she surfs with in California is mm-hmm. is something that we don't get to see that much of, you know, when we're looking at Instagram and you know looking at surf videos and stuff. So I think there are pockets that aren't necessarily. Um, well known. I don't think you're looking in the right places, Grace. <laughs> well, the, the thing is, you have to look, right? The thing right. Is, if you log in and just start looking at surf stuff, all the very typical, predictable stuff comes up first. So you have mm-hmm. to dig down. And so, unless you're a really tapped into all different communities like you are, you wouldn't know. So, I know other surfers who kind of don't really know. They maybe know their small little community and then they have an awareness of what the, the pro. Mm-hmm you know, right. apparel brands are doing. Right. And there isn't like, where do I fit into this kind of scheme of the surf world? Am I identified as one of those yoga Costa Rica people? Am I, you know, like someone who goes to the North shore every winter? Am I, you know, like whatever, there's right. so many right. get into. And so I think what a part of what started me wanting to write this book about surfing and, and tell the stories prior to Duke Kahanamoku's mm-hmm. arrival on the scene mm-hmm. was to kind of, you know, get the context because there's also even within the surf history about how surf history is written, there's a lot of erroneous um, mm-hmm. narratives. And even in like Finnegan's book, like he doesn't actually trace that history. He does it like in a couple paragraphs in one of his chapters, but it's not exactly right. Mm-hmm. So, I wanted to like fill that out, which also means filling out what Hawaii is. And so in order to do that, mm-hmm. like I have to like, kind of bring myself back to my childhood and then the context of my family there. And, mm-hmm. and then also see how my family was woven into the fabric of how Hawaii developed, at least for mm-hmm. this period of time when the immigrants mm-hmm. arrived on the mm-hmm. islands. And, um, you know, and then I've I've told this before too that my uncle, who was a musician, who was very highly regarded and very influential in the seventies, eighties, nineties, and how he got his start actually on the beach. He learned how to play Hawaiian music on the beach, being hanging out with the surfers in Waikiki, and he met mm-hmm. these really significant figures. Um, three guys. I don't know if this is too tangential, but there was three significant figures that he met in the early sixties. Bla Pahinui, who is the mm-hmm. son of Gabby Pahinui, who is that name alone in Hawaii is like he is an icon of music. Um, Boogie Kalama, who was mm-hmm. a guy who ended up on the Hokulea Polynesian Voyaging Society. So, Polynesian Voyaging Society, the Hokulea Double Hold Canoe, who mm-hmm. Eddie Haikau got involved mm-hmm. with, like right. that was such a significant moment in, in um, bringing back the Hawaiian consciousness of. Uh, mm. Star navigation, mm-hmm. and wow. how the Polynesians traveled across the Amazing. Pacific. They did mm-hmm. not know how the Polynesians got across. I mean, they had mm-hmm. right. Hokulea canoe and the Polynesian Voyaging Society to prove it and do it. And that wow. whole story is phenomenal. And mm-hmm. then, so, so Boogie Kalama, and then the third one is the the Patterson brothers. One of the Patterson, mm-hmm. being, I mm-hmm. think, 
I think it's Robert Roland, and I can't remember what the third brother's name was. Ronald, Ronald and Roland. I'm not sure. So there was three of them, right? Mm-hmm. And there were these like the Patterson brothers were these like crazy South Shore surfers. Like they were known mm-hmm. on the South Shore as just like these amazing surfers. The so T. Patterson, San Clemente. Now he's correct. an offspring of one of the three right. brothers. So the three brothers mm-hmm. ended up moving to California and working for Hobie as Sanders, mm-hmm. Glassers, mm-hmm. and whatever else. Right, and so right. one of them, I forget which one T. Patterson's the son of one right. of those, one of those. Mm-hmm. So. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So he- here's just, just this little, you know, facet of Hawaii and how the ocean brings people together and how music was actually being, because all three of those guys were all playing slacky guitar, which is a style of guitar that developed in Hawaii. So my right. uncle learned from them. And then he went on to, to have this music career. Waikiki is not only the birthplace of surfing as we know it today, right? Because surfing, of course, begins in Polynesia and comes to Hawaii, but the dissemination of surfing happens, right. Waikiki, happens mm-hmm. from the Beach Boys, of which the Kahanomoku brothers were a part. The music industry in Hawaii begins in Waikiki because of the hotels. And so the Mm -hmm. beach boys who were all playing music on the beach would get hired by the hotels to play music. So this is why music and surfing went hand in hand together. Mm -hmm. So, so the whole Hawaiians, you know, Hawaiian music's musical revival happens because of the Waikiki nightclubs, bars, Mm -hmm. jam sessions, whatever was going on. And my uncle's thing. The tourists. So the t- there was there's music for the tourists, hapahali mm-hmm. music for the tourists, mm-hmm. and and then there was the Hawaiian, you know, what the Hawaiians were listening to, but still some English English hapahali right. music, but like uh, you know a little bit more local style, but then it all got got mixed together. So Hawaiian music is you know like a, a layering of all these different you know musical influences, and mm-hmm. you know it's. If you go to Hawaii and you listen to someone's, you know, musical catalog, they will have things that span, you know, from the 50s, really touristy, Waikiki stuff to like a little bit more contemporary Hawaiian music that brought back, um, you know, the actual Hawaiian language into the music. And, you know, it's it's this amalgam of stuff. So anyway, so I tr- I, I'm trying to bring all of these things into context with this, this, this book. Mm-hmm. And also it's illustrated. So... Mm. Knowing that people have a hard time reading, I figure if you look at pictures, <laughs> I like pictures. So I'm drawing and I'm writing and drawing and I really feel like it should be finished right now, but I had to take a break and, uh, you know, do some other stuff. So it's still, you know, it's still, it's still on the back burner and there's just a couple of chapters I have to like rewrite and finish, but I feel like I need to tap into something that's a little bit deeper in my, I don't know, emotional memory bank that I'm unable to access right now. Cause I feel like COVID and cancer and everything is taking up a lot of real estate. Right. Of course. Yeah. So it's like, I'm just kind of keeping it there. Cause I have to like, when I go back to it, I really, I feel like I have to tap into like, you know, my family, my, you know, my grandparents and my uncle and they're all gone. 
So I have to really bring back these memories. And, you know, when you do that kind of work, because you've done that with your own family, you need to really make space for it and put yourself yeah. aside. Mm-hmm. And right now we're just, there's too much happening in our like day to day to like get there. So, yeah, I mean, that's crazy, right? Cause back to the whole conversation about time, like it feels like in this time, you know, we should have the time to kind of like get lost in the projects and the world, uh, you know, worlds that are day to day New York regular lives were just too distracting, right? We needed to be able to immerse. We needed the time space, um, to do that and this kind of disconnection, but I, you know, crazy enough, COVID just feels busier. Like even just, I get overwhelmed going to my emails of all these opportunities that I, you know, this class and that forum and this talk and this discussion, this happy hour and this, and it's just like, Oh my God, I have no time to do anything. Everyone's trying to get at you from this singular source of the internet. Like, and you can access the world, you can access the world of thought and, you know, so many conversations and so many amazing I mean, I guess this is also. <laughs> yeah. But I think these, all these new projects, like, so when I put this one project aside just for a bit, like I've felt like I had to go back to some other things that I had put aside prior to it. So mm-hmm. I kind of feel like if we don't stress ourselves out so much and like do whatever happens to be the inspiration of the moment, like you and I doing this podcast, like, you know, it's like, this is what's happening now. So just, you know, follow this down the road. It's important. Right. You know, so I feel like I've made time to do these other things and even being in touch with people you haven't been in touch with that much, like I th- feel like my relationships with people have strengthened in a weird way. Mm-hmm, even for sure. Out, like even just for zooming sure. with people and talking to them for more sure. frequently. Yeah. So taking the distractions out of it, you know, the, the loud bar and the cocktails. Well, maybe sometimes there are cocktails involved, but <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And also who you choose to spend that time yeah. with, right? Yeah. Now it's like, okay, this time is valuable. Like, I only have a certain number of hours in the day and, and I'm not really a big phone person to begin with. You know, yeah. if I, if I see you in person, I'm there with you a thousand percent. There's mm-hmm. nothing else happening, but um, that, that, so, so just the, the choosing who you spend time with at home while you're doing other things. It's like, yeah. how about that? Yeah. Um, and there are also people that I want to connect with that I, haven't been able to just because I haven't had time. <laughs> yeah. But the funny thing is also you can connect around the world. So despite time zones, it's like now you're choosing. So it's like, oh, the friend I want to talk to right now happens to be, you know, in Australia or happens to be, you know, wherever in California. So it's just a different, um, different way of accessing. I don't know. This has really been fascinating COVID. I mean, I would, I would rather it not be, you know, happen. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's, brought it's up been a lot really of- fascinating. And- yeah, it's 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 a lot. I feel of- like it just accelerates all the things that we imagine are like the sci-fi realities that existed in the movies. I feel like it's just accelerating accelerating it in like this. Like mm-hmm. it's just happening so fast now. Like yeah. I can see all those things that seem so wonky in sci-fi films. Like I can see this how it's taking root and that we can come out of this and it's like totally in place mm-hmm. i mean like that picture that I, I don't know if you've seen pictures of uh domino park where they draw you know for social distancing because some so many people were using um city mm-hmm. public space and it's by the water and it's pretty you know on a pretty day they had basically drew circles of where people can sit and they're all like spaced apart and it looks so sci-fi especially wow. with all the new buildings behind it and it's just like these circles and people are like quietly sitting in each of the circles, like 
all orderly, you know, and it, it just looks so crazy. But, um, you know, of course, this is all spoken from the vantage point that we are lucky to be alive. I mean, really, honestly, yeah. you know, whenever someone's like, how are you? It's like, I'm alive, period. Like, that's, there's nothing more than that at this point. Like, so many people have really, like, yeah. so many people have died. So many yeah, people. I know. So many people. And, and then exponential to that, how many people then have lost someone? Like, you know? one person's death is a whole community. It's a whole family, extended family, friends. I mean, it's just crazy to see the places where it hasn't impacted and they're just like, I don't understand why it has to be like this. And it's like, uh, are you not noticing that the whole world is kind of locked down? <laughs> like, this is not your local government conspiracy to do whatever to you. Like, this is real. And it feels like those movies where you see people from the future trying to warn the people from the past and be like, no, don't do that. And there's, they still do it, you know, like hindsight 2020. And it felt like, you know, when the thing was happening in China and everyone was like, ah, oh, it's just happening in China. That's just like what happens over there in that part of the world. And, and then it happened in Italy and like, Oh my God, Western world. But still people were just like, Oh, that's terrible. But not unless you had a direct connection to people in Italy, maybe, or Europe, you're just like, meh. And then when it came to New York, you know, and then it became real and it just kept, and then like other states were like, nah, it's like whatever. Cause it's so far away and they don't know anyone. And in New York, everyone's known someone who's passed. I, I mean, I, I know plenty of people and I know people who know a lot of people, like I'm like one degree or away from, you know, just a lot of people who've lost people. So it's, um, it's a crazy time. Um, but Hopefully for those of us who are fortunate to be, to survive it, we can hopefully create something, use this time to learn and connect and build in interesting ways. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it is, it is interesting. Can they draw circles in the water around? <laughs> can we somehow have like a, I don't know what, like. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, there doesn't seem to be this kind of like, awareness across the board no it doesn't especially for young healthy people who think they're immune somehow yeah. yeah yeah which is why i'm a little bit afraid of like if the virus is but i think that, that this is interesting because like we say young healthy it's like you know i live in a community that's that's more perhaps racially diverse i mean there there's a sizable african-american community i feel like those kids are very aware like i see i see kids with masks, sometimes even the full, like, you uh -huh. know, plastic, what do you call those? Like, yeah. I saw a kid wearing a shield and a mask yesterday, um, going for a run, you know, like it, it it's, the, you know, affecting different communities in different ways. And yeah. you know, the, the, the crazy thing, it's not crazy. It's like typical, right? Like it's not just, it's never just about a virus, this biological thing. It always breaks down, to social, cultural, like political, like it, it, the human stuff gets in the way. So like, as far as how healthcare, like diet, access to good food, access to clean water, like all the human stuff, all the other stuff, it, it, it's all like, it's related to that. It's never just this biological thing and how it accesses you. It, it has to do with like how you access the world. Right. You your, your vulnerability is not your physical body alone. It's your, your, your social status, your economic yeah, status, absolutely. Ge Everything. geographical location. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. What your neighborhood looks like, like how many people live in your building, how many people live in your apartment, access to public space, you know, how, how you have to work, how you have to yeah. survive. Right. If you're an essential worker or if you yeah. live with an essential worker. What you're exposed to. Yeah. Or you have roommates because you don't, can't afford to live by yourself or, you know, yeah. all of it. So anyway, we have. Do you have a gone- podcast here? We talked oh, a lot about, you're going to have to edit this down. I think Tyler's going to have to go through this and he's going to be like, give me mandates. Like, all right. Wait, do you have to edit it? 30 minutes. Edit it? Uh, I, I hope he edits it. Oh my God. <laughs> you've got all over the place, Karen. I know. <laughs> oh, Grace. Thank you so much. We'll talk right. again soon. And, um, be careful out in the water. I hope Don't the next- go to Rockaway. Go somewhere else. If you have to go out, I know, but I, I know I had I had to make that strike early in the morning, in and out, really yeah, quick. It was hard. The time thing, yeah. My my whole thing is like the bathroom situation. It's like always. A I know. Wait, so it- shit, you're gonna edit gonna this, edit that, this yeah. out. Tyler, it, don't strike, strike that from wherever all. you went. I'm not gonna ask this question on there. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> you're done, Grace. All right, um, I'll talk to you later. Take care. Thank you, Grace. All right. Bye-bye. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.